I'm Janet Varney, and yes, Dante is still on set directing, but we would never leave you all hanging. Right, Dante? That's right, Janet. I'm here for just one second to say hi to everybody. So last year, we listened to our fans and friends and created a jam-packed episode of our most iconic moments with some iconic guests for your listening pleasure. Please check out this, one of our fan favorite specials. friends, benders, and non-benders alike. Welcome to Braving the Elements, Nickelodeon's podcast about all things Avatarverse. I'm Janet Varney. And I'm Dante Bosco. Happy holidays, y'all. Yeah, I said y'all. From Braving the Elements. I cannot believe we have been doing this podcast for over six months, my friend. I know. It's pretty wild. But this week, we thought we'd relive some of our favorite moments so far from season one. Great idea. These are some of our fans' favorite and honestly, our favorite as well, and kind of most talked about clips from our entire run of season one of Braving the Elements. And if you haven't been listening since the start, this is a great catch-up episode. So first up, we are hearing from our two dads and the creators of the Avatarverse, Mike DiMartino and Brian Konetsko. Hello, son and daughter. Mike, I'm going to call you Mike for the rest of the time. Yes, that's fine. My my friends, my, my children call me Mike. So Mike D, Mike D. Yeah, I <laughs> realize that I always refer to you as just Mike DiMartino, and now I'm feeling like I need. I should have slipped back in the the L Dante, <laughs> the L Dante. No, you threw that Dante. And when I first read the script, it said uh, Michael Dante DiMartino, and I was like, and I was convinced one of the reasons I got cast because we share the same name. Definitely. Well, I will say, I do recall. Here's an early story for you. That we'd get the like auditions on, you know, CD back in the day. Oh people wow! People used CDs, and and they did like list the the actor or actress's names on them. And I remember seeing Dante Bosco, and I jokingly said like, "That's our guy right there. That's gonna be him." <laughs> and sure enough, it really did end up being you. So there you go. It worked out. The name worked out for me. I like it. Cut to later today, Dante's like, I wonder if that is the only reason I got the part. Actors are very insecure. <laughs> I've just discovered that's like, the only reason, the only one. <laughs> this is awesome for us. We love any opportunity to see you. And I'm sure you know how important it is to us that we, when you see us, you're probably reminded of the most stressful times in your life. So that's uh, po- very positive for us. Yeah, but you, you all were one of the... F- fun parts (laughs) you know like (laughs) towards the end mike was in a lot more of the records than i was but when so when i did get to go it was an even uh, extra special treat you know and i always love hanging out with the actors and especially you two and you know i don't have children so all of the avatar characters are like my children i always think of them that way so it's not that you two lovely adult human beings are my children but yeah Cora and Corin and Aang, you know, they, they are. And my mom, I have a lot of nephews and a niece, but my mom would always say that, that Avatar was her other grandchild, you know. And, uh, oh, wow. It, it takes a lot of 
attention, like raising a child. <laughs> so. Tell grandma we said hi. I was going to say, will. we're ready I to will. meet her at any time. It's funny you would say that because she yeah. is actually going to be on our next episode. I know it seems like we jumped around oh, yeah? a little bit and <laughs> um, started contacting your family members. But we're just real enthused about this podcast. We're real <laughs> enthused about it. You know, I did that thing where, uh, and I think Dante is more chill about this stuff because Dante is the cool kid and I'm the nerd between the two of us. And so he probably didn't do what I did, which was like such a gross deep dive into stuff that I've actually, I've come all the way back around to having hurt myself because my brain stopped being able to take in all the information that's out there on the web about Avatar so everything just sort of like melted away. So now I'm just back to where I where I was. Uh, <laughs> I was like, I must know everything. The creators are coming on the podcast. Yeah, now I feel bad. Like we we scared you into it. Like like you were, had to cram for a test or something. It's okay to ask us a question that's been asked before. It's just when. So how did it all begin? <laughs> <laughs> What's what? If you could bend one element. I know. How did you ever come up with the idea? This has never before been told. A story you'll never hear anywhere else. <laughs> no, there are a lot of places that uh, that the story has been told, um, certainly on various uh, and sundry Tumblr blogs. And Mike, I think you have a little more on your website now. That's a kind of a more recent thing, right? That you have the sort of hub of a website where people can go. Uh, I do have a website, uh, but it, all the like blog stuff is kind of old. It's from my I... old blog. I haven't, we're, I haven't but actually... But we're kind of old. Yeah. <laughs> I would say like when people, you know, the thing we usually refer people to is like the, the art of Avatar book because like I feel like that's one of the definitive like places where we sort of told like, where it began and the early development and you get to see the early art and all that stuff. Oh, the book that I was cramming even as we were logging on. Was I supposed to read that textbook? Was I, is that textbook I was supposed to, I have it here also. This is why you're the cool kid. You're the cool kid. That's right. And you're, That's and you're right. the one who drops profound references to other literary gems while I'm scrambling to the remember something like very specific. I just try to take it in. The crazy thing is it's 20 years ago, fellas. I mean, almost, you know, yeah. almost 20 yeah. years ago. And obviously I was there too. And I, it, it's, it so blows my mind when I'm talking to fans or cons. And these kids aren't, I mean, barely 20, if not. And I'm like going, huh, no, we did, we did this. We started doing this <laughs> like before you were born. Like, how is that? Yeah. It seems yeah. like yesterday, fellas, like going in there and auditioning yeah, with you guys. That, but... I have all these crazy memories of the whole journey. I remember yeah. at the premiere party where, where Brian handed the mic to you at, at the premiere party. He's like, I want to have, you know, it's like the Beastie Boy reference, like, I'm handing the mic to Mike D. <laughs> like, I have these, like, weird memories in my head, and I'm like, how was that that many years ago? Well, and we were, like, we were young for our show creators and showrunners back oh, then. Oh, for sure. Um, I thought you guys were young, too. I'm like, did these yeah. guys know what they're doing? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> we cast you because your name was Dante. What does that tell you? Good taste. I was like 25, almost turning 26 when we came up with the idea in 2002. And, you know, it took some years through development and working on the test pilot and then getting into production. But by the time we were like actually running the, the production, I think I was 28. So, you know, so we were sort of known as like the young, the young guys for a while. And then 
we once had this like meeting. This was, I think, during Cora, like some live action network pulled us in and we had a meeting and they were like, you know, you guys are like veterans, you know, you're like veteran world builders. And we came out of the meeting and I was like, wait, did we become the old guys? And there was no in between. (laughs) We we went from young guys to old guys and I, everything in the middle was a blur. Yeah. I can't even, I mean, I, Dante and I do cons together and, and I now have kids who are teenagers coming up and saying, I grew up watching Cora and that's a mind blower and then and then i look over and in dante's line and someone who's like twice their age is saying i grew up watching avatar and you know right, people yeah. are naming their kids after characters from True. the series and i mean it, it's it's really it's really something and that is a different way like obviously we all have our own internal clock or lack thereof in terms of how we account for time going by. And if you're a parent, you know, it looks different because you're seeing it through your kids. And if you're not, maybe it's through your work or your animals or your relationship or whatever. But it's really interesting when you sort of see it reflected back to you through someone who, like, they're marking time by naming their child Cora is it's a whole different experience and and time warps all of a sudden it's like wait a minute hold on are you from the past the future what's happening this doesn't seem possible uh but somehow it happened and you guys knew each other far longer than the inception of avatar because of course you met as students at rhode island school of design RISD, right and brian i believe you were dressed as iguana man i feel that has not been uh, addressed deeply (laughs) deep cut deeply enough in the art book Uh, i'd like to know uh, a little more about why iguana man and i consider that to be the first hybrid animal uh, because you were part yeah. you part iguana, so that's basically <laughs> well, the first hybrid animal from Avatar. The, the what high, are you guys doing at RISD? Jeez. Well, the 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 first hybrid animal that inspired me was Opus, um, sure, from Bloom County, because you know he he was just a penguin, but he didn't really look like a penguin. You know, he had this big, huge round schnoz, round, yeah. and um, and I loved him and I actually just found the stuffed animal that I had at my mom's house and I brought nice. it back home to LA and so when I was in like second or third grade I would just draw hybrid animals it was just something I did and that was a time when I used to just lay on the floor and just draw from my imagination and then a few years later I got more into I mean I t- always took art classes outside of school and stuff but I got more into like music and playing guitar and I wasn't so focused on drawing um, even though I still considered myself an artist but you know ended up going to art school and I'll get into the whole story about meeting Mike but it was like it wasn't until yeah I'd been working on shows for other people's shows for like four years but I really hadn't been doing drawings for myself Um, I would just do drawings for a class assignment or drawings for a job and um, when Mike and I were trying to come up with a show, I started finally doing like drawings for myself at night. And when we started what would turn into Avatar, it was kind of the first time in my adult life I was just really sitting there drawing, just tapping into that old thing of being a kid and Miyazaki, you know? So I think it was like the cat bus. And it sure. was sort of just this floating floating manatee bovine of some sort. But like with Opus, like I wasn't thinking like, 
I just thought, oh, in this world, this is what a bison looks like. You know, it's right. just different than ours. You know, it wasn't that it was right, right, it was right. such a hybrid thing. You know, Dante and I were talking about all the different characters in the show and how much we love them and sort of wondering how you felt you were reflected in those characters. And Dante just totally blew my mind. He was like, you know, Brian is Zuko and Mike is Aang. <laughs> how much truth is there to that? It's true. <laughs> it's There's true. some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah, it. I forgot one that revealed to me, or you guys revealed it, or something happened, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It, it was like a epiphany. I think it's one of those things that just—I mean, it kind of naturally happened because we're both fueling this world and these characters, and you know, and like anything you create, like I, especially now, I notice like there's in every character I can see aspects of myself, but you kind of end up identifying with like one of the, the main characters. And I've always sort of like had a soft spot for Aang and Brian's always identified with Zuko a little more. And it's just sort of seemed to work out that way that your personalities sort of, you know, get infused in the work in different ways. And all the characters like Sokka and Katara, there's like, you know, little parts of us and all those personalities and characters and storylines, you know, Mike is like a peaceful, mellow avatar airbender yeah round perfectly round head um <laughs> you know and i am i am definitely much more fiery and impassioned and driven in a sort of self-destructive way <laughs> sometimes <laughs> but but we balance each other out i always knew i connected to brian more both of us being zuko and all fire nation you've made that very very clear Okay, we definitely had to play this one. It is one of my favorite moments, one of the fans' favorite moments, and we have talked about it a lot since then. And you bring it up all the time at cons. It's when you found out that Oppa was part manatee. I just found out that Oppa was half manatee. I, I didn't even know. I never knew that. But then On this podcast. Read the art book. <laughs> he looked up a manatee on, on the internet and said, oh, yeah. I learn stuff every day. I had to look up a manatee, and then the body floating, I was like, that's Oppa. There he is. <laughs> also, you were criticizing their posture, but they're underwater, Dante. I know. I didn't know why It's not he like was they're just... sitting in a chair. Like I thought Oppa slumped a lot. I was like, this guy got horrible posture. What's wrong with this dude? Have you ever seen a bison? They have humps on their back, Dante. That's not all just... It's not like his bad posture. It's the shape of his back. I mean, I like Oppa. I didn't ponder him a whole lot. You're dissing on Oppa now. Oh, my gosh. He's a homie. I love me some Oppa. But guess what? A lot of people didn't know either. I know. We've done cons together in front of 800 people, and I would say half of them didn't know. No one says anything about it in the show ever about no manatees doing nothing. But kind of, their water tribe is a water animal. Kind of makes sense a little bit. Except it's an air temple. But he's in the water at the beginning. <laughs> okay, friends, more to come from our fan favorite episode after a quick break. We are back with yet another fan favorite moment. We are talking about the wonderful Jack DeSena. Of course, he played Sokka, and we absolutely loved having him. The illustrious water tribe member himself, not a bender, but uh, up there in the yep. uh, higher echelon of water tribe uh, legends gotta and icons. Got to be. be. He's got to have statues all over water tribe land. That important. He's well-traveled. Yeah, absolutely. He's well-traveled. He was very important 
part of the Great War, and yep. he, he he did things he did things no other person, Bender or not, was able to do uh, he during this whole thing. Learns all the local fighting styles as he travels. No, no, no. Wait, <laughs> before you say too much more, we're trying really hard not to do too many spoilers, even though we feel like everyone who's listening probably has watched the entire series multiple times. So instead of doing spoiler alerts, we do something called the foreshadow report. Great. <laughs> So foreshadow report, we have to have you back on for possibly my favorite moment, kind of sort of comedic moment in the entire series, which involves Sokka telling Zuko what happened to his girlfriend. And we're not going to say any more than that. Oh. But that exchange is so good. I mean, there's a lot of foreshadowing there. We could not do that exchange without foreshadowing so much. But yeah, thank you. I agree. Dante. Yeah. Oh, so we don't, we can't do it, but we got to bring you back because I could listen to that on a loop and I would never stop laughing. It's so funny and so good. <laughs> Dante could say his line pretty free and clear. Right. Ooh, that's what we should do. Let's just say a few things and then Dante will have to respond with that line no matter what we say. Like it could just be great, random. Great, great, it doesn't great, great. have to be about Avatar. Like I, yeah. I twisted my ankle and it was rough because I didn't get to go on that hike I really wanted to go on. That's rough, buddy. I think I'm having a sleep apnea, and then I've been waking up with headaches, and I talked to my doctor. I did an at-home sleep study, and they're going to maybe look into getting me a CPAP machine. It's really blowing my mind, making me feel really old. Hmm. That's rough, buddy. So I'm just starting to come to terms with the fact that I can't eat cereal all day, every day for every meal, and that is extremely upsetting to me. What advice do you have for me? That's rough, buddy. Dante, this is an igneous rock. That's rough, buddy. Oh, yes. Anything in the pun family, I am so on board for. I love that you guys are both improv geniuses and just jump into (laughs) improv like without, there was no, you guys, there was no hand signals. There was no like winks of the eye. They just jumped into improv. Did you feel like you were were unprepared? I was unprepared because I'm not that kind of actor. Dude, you had your line, man. I think you were well taken care of in this exercise. I know. I was going to say, if I may, you felt like you were unprepared. That's rough, buddy. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, <Wow>! Barney. <laughs> Thank you. And, that, and, that, and today in our That's Rough Buddy segment, thank you so much. Scene. Jack, this is probably something that you get asked all the time. I know it's something that we get asked uh, with respect to The Legend of Korra. And I think it's also probably fair to say that the Bolin character is sort of the heir apparent to Sokka's brilliance. And PJ was kind of the only one who really got away with improvising on The Legend of Korra. What was your relationship, if any, to improv with Last Airbender? Because it was so new and so undeveloped as like, did you feel like you could? Did they ask you to? What, What was going on there? I think I maybe did a bit more like as the seasons went on perhaps i feel like in like runs you know we'd we'd isolate a line and try a couple things and occasionally i would i would feel encouraged to throw some stuff around but i don't remember like doing a lot of it dante tells me i did and sometimes it makes me feel embarrassed i'm like was i just like did i just start saying stuff i don't know i was doing all my lines exactly the way they were written me too precisely word for word just period for period and Jack was seemed like much more freer in what he was doing. I was like, he's having fun. I'm here in the room by myself just 
reading lines. Part of it, though, it's the benefit of not being very good on the first take is then they'll just let you go for a while. And then you just start saying whatever you want by the end because no one's listening anymore. You know, the let him get good technique. (laughs) Yeah. Follow up question. Did PJ steal any of your stuff? Wait, did he steal uh, my personal belongings or did he see- steal any of Jack's steal any of Jack's stuff? Okay, okay. That makes a lot more sense to me. <laughs> I don't think so. I think I think they're they stand alone. Have stand you guys alone. met? Uh, yes. You get on like a house on fire, whatever that means. We have not actually hung out. We met once in the lobby at Nick Animation, introduced by Mike and Brian, who like I think they were they were in a record. I was there for an audition, and we were pulled together. And Mike and Brian were very excited to have, oh. you know, the comedic characters. Yeah, collide that's going right to happen there. on this podcast. I see it happening. I could see it as if I'm looking into the future. Yeah, that's like the spinoff. That's like a spinoff show. Yeah, PJ and I just met that once, but we are starting a rival podcast. <laughs> this is- very unpleasant news to get. Yeah, we'll be we'll be starting a rival podcast. You will win. <laughs> you will win. You absolutely will win. We um, we're full of foreshadowing on that one. We don't care. Oh, we just let it fly. So much foreshadowing. You lucky ducks. I wish people said lucky duck more often. That's just not something that gets said anymore. Lucky duck. Gosh, you that's lucky the bee's duck. knees. I mean, lucky duck. Great phrase. We can bring it back. We can bring it back. Uh, or what kind of ducks do we have in this show? Lucky lucky turtle ducks. Lucky, Lucky turtle, turtle ducks, right. way to turn it back around. You're so right. That's what we have in our show. Yeah, Lucky Turtle Duck. The turtle ducks are awfully cute. Well, there Are there turtle I don't remember that. I'm not good. I don't have a good recall for the hybrid animals. When do turtle ducks pop up? They're all over the place, Jack. <laughs> they are all over Is the place. Is it rude that whenever they describe <laughs> a hybrid animal, I think about if it would be delicious or not? And a turtle duck sounds I- delicious. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to ask you, is it possible that the worst bad act you would have to overcome in the fandom in terms of like people being mad at Sokka, was it that you wanted to eat Momo before Momo was Momo? Yeah. And that's this episode, right? Yeah. We just we just talked about episode three. And it's true. You you kept saying that that was going to be a meal. First of all. So it's not like great taste by Sokka. I don't think like he's a stringy little jumping thing. I don't think he looks that delicious. Not a lot of meat. But it's a desperate time, right? They've been out there flying around. You're eating. You've been eating rocks and stuff, (laughs) wishing it was nuts and whatnot. So I'm ready. Yeah. And if you barbecue, my little dude, his ears are probably going to be nice and crispy. (laughs) Nice and crispy ears. Some like Crunchy. pig ear style. That sounds We call nice. it chicharron. We yeah. would call that Filipinos or Latinos would call it chicharron. Please, no one come after me. I want everyone to know I do not <laughs> think that Momo's ears would make good chicharron. I am very, very upset by this. This is rough, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> this is rough. That's rough, buddy. That's real rough. <laughs> I do think that probably is Sokka's biggest... Well, at that end, at the beginning, he's like just straight up a misogynist, like just very sexist. Until I'm glad you said episode it, so four, foreshadowing report, foreshadowing, foreshadowing report. report, episode four. Some of that gets beaten out of him. I'd say that's probably his biggest flaw at the beginning, right? Quick question, back shadow report. Yeah, who's older, Sokka or Katara? By how much? How many months? Like two years, maybe? Isn't he like sixteen and fourteen, something like that? Yeah, he's older. I don't know. He seems very mature. I think that's a key. <laughs> 
part of the you show. You never call her like my little <laughs> sister. You never be like my little sis. She's definitely older. It's true that because even when they bicker, I don't feel like he pulls the little sister card. It's more just like you're annoying because you're my sister. It's less about her being little sister. I know. And you know big brothers pull that card all the time. Yes, that's a good point. But he does have the attitude of like, I'm supposed to be in charge. Like he thinks of himself as that. And I think Katara's maturity is just so far beyond his in so many aspects that like, yeah, the the dynamic is not full big brother, little sister, but I think he feels it. Sokka believes that he's the, you know, responsible chieftain, older brother type. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad that you brought that up because, you know, that is something that people talk about in in the context of talking about uh, Avatar because so many of the characters that have great qualities and are so admirable and then we kind of are tough on and rightfully so we're tough on the characters lesser qualities like wanting to eat yeah. Momo for example or being a misogynist <laughs> um, he grows out of both of those he, he grows know? out of both of them and I think that's that's a kind of a question and I would love to hear your guys thoughts on you know, it's so important how things are reflected in media, especially in shows for young people. I think the, there's a conversation that happens, especially with something that was made 16 years ago versus stuff that might be made for the first time today. You know, what role models are we showing kids and what kind of qualities do we want these these main characters, these lovable protagonists to have? And if we were doing this anew, would we make Sokka different? Would he not have those qualities but at the same time, it's like, but isn't it kind of good to show someone get the one-upmanship of having those qualities and then getting beaten down, kind of? Like, do you know what I mean? I'd love yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, I think, I think how quick the journey is tells me that was something that they were planning with that character from the beginning, I would have to assume. Like, in the pilot, he definitely, like, has a pretty bossy, condescending attitude towards Katara in a lot of ways. And some of it is Big Brother stuff, but some of it clearly is that he does have this, you know, from the beginning, this, like, cooked-in sexist, like, I'm the guy, I'm the leader, I come from this, like... You're the only guy left in your tribe. Right. You're the only guy left in your tribe. Yeah, and so he thinks he's supposed to be this thing that his dad was, and he's got to probably spoiled. Probably everyone's catering to the only man in town. (laughs) He's the only man in town. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. But also feels a tremendous pressure because of that and frustration, you know, about, like, trying to train these tiny kids. But I think, like, giving him that thing to overcome at the beginning, I think, is helpful and does shape his journey, and it makes him... Uh, it, it is a attribute that I think carries with Sokka throughout the show that he is often good at, like, not underestimating people, I think yeah. is maybe a fair thing. And I think that's a lesson that he learns here. So I don't know. If if this show was being made today, would they have started him from that unlikable point? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think it's great. I, th- I think when you watch a lot of shows, movies, television shows, you have to watch it within the context of the time it's made. But this particular show, I think the timelessness of this show... And why it was, again, so popular today is maybe it was before its time or maybe there's a timelessness of, of how it was yeah. made that I think it, all these issues resonate and still are, are being talked about today. And I think it kind of works out perfectly with Sokka because I don't think you, you dismiss those attributes in, in, in any characters because then where's the growth of any of the characters? Right. But to see the growth of Sokka, I think it's really – so I don't know if we were before our time or – I like to think we're timeless. Timeless? Sokka? Sokka? I called you Sokka, Jeff. Sokka, are we timeless? Here we go. We're timeless. That's what, it's we're fine. Timeless. That's what everyone is thinking anyway. That's like the blend. When you're hearing two characters from the same show yeah. that is so beloved talk, I mean, of course you're going to call. 
I love Jack, man. And speaking of loving Jack, or well, loving Sokka anyways, we had an opportunity to connect also with Jenny Kwan, who played Sokka's love interest in the incredible warrior Suki. I would like to say that Suki is a feminist of her time, but I think she's even more than that. I think she's, and I don't know if there would be a word to classify this, but if you at least watch just through the episode like you're saying, so Sokka comes in and he's, you know, boisterous and somewhat of, you know, a know-it-all and posturing, and he's not really in his power at that point in the beginning, right? Because he's just kind of all over the place. And Suki probably sees that, and her being somewhat of a feminist, it's interesting that she continues to give him a chance. So if she was in this modern day and age, I don't think she would be part of that cancel culture. You know, if we want to get really deep, she probably would be like, Listen, there there is something inside of you that is vulnerable, that is true. And she doesn't cut him off at first, but she holds him accountable and she holds him to show what he's really made of with what you're saying is like, who is he truly inside? And what is that true, pure, I, I want to say good part of him that she knows exists, right? And if she would have just been like off the island with this dude, we wouldn't have seen that. I have to say, one of the things I absolutely loved about Jenny was how open she was about talking about being a voice actor. And we all kind of got to share our experiences. We got to hear her philosophy on that. And it was so inspiring. It went deep. Yeah. Especially being an Asian-American voice actor, hearing her perspective is really relatable for me. And we, we definitely need to be fighting for more roles and representation within the industry. For sure. Sometimes I get in my booth and I'm just like, oh my, can I, like, is there something there? Can I bring something out? And then when I do, I'm like, okay, time to let it go. And if it lands, it's like, wait a minute. Oh, it did? Okay, great. Then that's icing on the cake, right? Yes. If not, then you're right. Like, you did the best that you could. And I love that shattering image. That's really cool. I love that too. I'm always surprised that I book anything. Every time I book a job, I'm like, <laughs> <Me> really? <too. laughs> I know. For voiceover, I feel so fortunate because I get to audition not only for specifically Asian roles, but I could be a creature. I could be a kid. I could be, you name it. And I will say, I wanted to, you know, brush up on a lot of my VO stuff. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to our union and I'm going to take one of their free workshops and I'm going to just check it out. I don't know. Like, you know, I've had to learn so much about this equipment and I am not tech savvy. It's like this much, right? Um, but I wanted to get the information. So I go and I'm listening to the panel and I am not kidding you. I'm not exaggerating because I remember going in there. There must have been 300 people who attended. And I looked around and I was like, I am the only maybe Asian person here. Like, so, you know, I don't think that's, a horrible thing because I know there are a lot of Asian actors who are in our industry, but I just thought that was really interesting, you know. And I was like, "Okay, I'm nailing this down. Like, I need to do this. Like, I just want to be. I just want to keep improving, you know. No matter what that looks like for me, you know. And if that happens to benefit other people too, then so be it. I'm so happy to do that. Awesome. Yeah, and with Asian representation in the industry, you know, we are definitely in like a golden era. It's like the, this is the highest profile Asians have been in pop culture and the history of, you know, Hollywood, yeah. which is amazing. And to be a part of, you know, our careers to be a part of the, the lineage of making that happen now. 
and with a special project like Avatar: Last Airbender, this started, you know, fifteen plus years ago, almost twenty years ago now. And Mike and Brian having so much reverence and respect for the things that they were being inspired by, and including us being very important to include people, especially like me and Mako, in, in the first original cast uh, to kind of have that authenticity to the project because they wanted aspects of of representation in there. And so um, I just think that's a really important thing as we're going through it. Of course, we all know we are making fiction. We are not doing documentary films. We don't need to cast everything precisely, but to 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 approach things with respect and uh, some cultural reference is, is, is really important. And I think I, I do like that's the direction that we're going in. Of course, there's a lot of work to be done um, and there's a lot of mistakes we've made as an industry in the past, and we and we all recognize that, and we can all see that. But as we move forward, we're all going to make more mistakes, but we're trying to do it in a way that's respectful to the cultures we're trying to represent and cultures we're being inspired by and including uh, the people in front of the camera, behind the camera, to be a part of the process to make to make it more authentic storytelling. Yeah, and I also think, too, you know, with them – you know, using different aspects of different Asian cultures. I think it's also a a respect thing to have people of Asian descent, you know, be a part of that, like Dante saying, to represent and to make sure it's it has a sense of validity, right? Because like any culture, you know, we we know how that feels or know, you know, just the the story behind it. So I think that that lends to that as well. And it's important. And um, yes, as we move forward. And I also wanted to say it was beautiful how they used different cultural aspects, but also is modern at the time, you know, kind of melding the two, which was very interesting. Mm-hmm. And even like the animation, you know, even as they borrowed some of the like anime qualities, but made it modern for the time and, and kind of groundbreaking for the time to go forward because people still they just they comment about that too just the beautiful combination of how they used all those different aspects well this is definitely always comes up in conversations about avatar uh, is it an anime is it not right. an anime mm. obviously it's it's an american made animation show so it's not right. necessarily it's an it's an anime it's american anime if anything mm-hmm. if you get started with avatar you are going to end up into you know the the just the world of anime you're gonna soon be watching whatever from you know Black Butler to you know Attack on Titan all these mm-hmm. things because it because it borrows from that it's it's really being inspired by the masters of animation of the, at the anime scene in Japan right in Asia so uh, I think they're very proud of that I'm proud that we're like a, a gateway drug for yeah. anime heads <laughs> That's right. for sure That's right gateway drug. and I'll just address the elephant in the room which I think will probably come up many times through the podcast which is uh, I am just very happy to be here, and I would have been completely content to not play Cora if a wonderful woman of color or just not white was was in the mix. Somehow it worked out, and I responded to, I didn't know even really what Cora looked like per se, but I'm so happy to step out of the way at any given time for, <laughs> for anybody <laughs> that isn't me who can better represent anyone in anything. Uh, I'm just happy to be able to talk about the show as a fan at this point and stay connected with it in that way and speak to the things that I can connect with emotionally about a character I played, but also like fully 100% own, like Mike and Brian do. They're universal stories and universal 
characters and and when they're universal like that we all you know we all can connect to them right. and that's the really yeah. the great thing and and jenny talked about before it's like this is they wrote a character for you yeah because it, there wasn't a lot of representation of us we're yeah. you know me and jenny have been around the industry for i know thir- decades <laughs> 30 plus years yeah. <laughs> uh, so and it's been happened to me where like we wrote this character for you which is a testament to you as as an actor and as a person but the reality is the way hollywood is was built it was built on the pers- perspective and the storytelling of, of predominantly white males mm-hmm. in the industry and so yeah. they doesn't make it racist it just makes it their perspective and so right. they until they met you until they knew you they didn't even know they weren't even writing for you they weren't writing for us until they met us and then once you impress somebody like we need to write a character like that yeah and as it's as hollywood's growing it's there's more different people in the writer's room there's more different ethnic groups talking and bringing their perspectives to the storytelling and that's and that's where we're at and and shows like avatar have helped ushered in this kind of asian renaissance which is beautiful that's one of the most wonderful experiences that i think we all the three of us have going to cons which is you know you see what other shows audiences look like by virtue of who's standing in a line to say hello to someone or who's getting a photo taken and i always look at the amazing diversity of the fans of this right. show yes. and the fact that so many of them want to be animators and I'm like getting choked up and they're artists and they're bringing these beautiful pieces that they've drawn for us to sign and and they're they the want to be voice actors and that to me is like you know I'm so happy to be like I'm not Cora you're Cora like you're all <laughs> Cora you are ma- you're going to make the next core like please because Getting to see any part of a culture or the color of your skin or the, your eyes, anything that feels like it calls out to you and feels familiar and feels like you're seen allows you to feel empowered to create and to become a part of that story. And that is so important. Well, I think that's an testament to what you're saying, though, because if you didn't bring the life to Cora, people wouldn't be feeling that affection to be able to bring that out in themselves so to me i think it's always important that you're keeping the series alive right you're keeping that spirit alive and i think also too behind the scenes it's like kind of like what dante's saying saying is that if they don't know it, it it's not in their peripheral right but i think when the opportunity comes to make the change or to you know meet at the table that's a time when, for example, someone like me needs to step up and be like, hey, I have this to offer. It's okay. There's room for all of us. It doesn't mm. mean that, you know, I'm taking away something from you. Just think about what can expand from this point of view, you know, and include so many more people and have your point of view. Because, listen, if that wasn't there already, we wouldn't even have a jumping point to go off of so I'm so grateful to be a part of this you know family of Avatar like I just the people who reach out they just truly love the show and it makes me Mm -hmm. love it even more now one of the crazier and cooler things that happened on Braving the Elements I gotta give it up to my Prince Zuko was that we actually were able to track down the Avatar in real life and we caught him with a net but it was actually a net an internet, eh? What? What? You're not smiling. I am smiling. 
But of course, we're talking about bringing fans a lot of joy and ourselves a lot of joy as well when we got Zach Tyler Eisen, a.k.a. Avatar Aang, on the podcast. Zach, what's up? Guys, it is... So good to be here. This is very, very, very cool. You know, we've been doing this podcast for many episodes, and we are constantly talking about, of course, Aang, and your performance was so fantastic. And well, thank you. So just like innate. So bravo. Thank you. I appreciate that. I I, I had no formal training, so that might have honestly been a good thing. Uh, what, sometimes. From what you're telling me. I think sometimes, sometimes yeah. it is. Sometimes that is. So, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, looking back, it was it was just. A great experience in my life, and I'm, I'm very thankful for it. We come on booth, and it's like usually me, Jack, May, and uh, you know Mako. We, 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 especially the first season. You know, you're trying to get the cast together as much as possible so you can get some kind of gelling going on with the performances. And and it'd be like, and Zach's here on the East Coast, and it'd be like, <laughs> it'd be basically Zach's voice, and you're like, hey, we're like, hey, what's up, Zach? So you and really, he was ang to you. He really was ang to you. Like you were just he hearing was his disembodied voice. Yeah, you would just hear when he was in session with us. It would just be his voice over. And then I met him at a. We first met when you were very young at the premiere party, That's right? Yeah, Nickelodeon, which we actually talked about that with Brian. And there was a whole martial arts. Yes, of course, uh, exhibition. Yes, yeah, Ibukisu was there, and it was it was cool. And I met your whole family, and you're you know you were a kid. I was a full kid. Uh, I was <laughs> I, I was pretty much like the same age as Aang. I might have even been a little bit younger by the time the premiere rolled around. I think the show premiered in '05. I want to say that would have made me 12 or 11, depending on the time of year. So yeah, I, I was I was young, uh, and you guys were all like the cool older kids, like. You know, intimidating hey. in a in a cool way, not in a not in a scary Some way. Some of us older than others. I mean, I look at Jack <laughs> hey. and May at those days too, and I'm like, you guys were like yeah. children. We yeah, we we all were children, and you know that was that was part of uh, part of the fun of it. it. It was cool playing a kid who was my age. I was kind of going through the same uh, you know age progression as Aang at that at the same time. Um, you can hear it in my voice a little later in season three. Um, I think it makes it. I think that makes it very exciting and special. And a lot of times, kids age out of the characters and they get recast, right? Yeah. And this is like a character you did the whole si- the whole duration of the series, which I think is really special. Thank God it was only three seasons because I don't think I <laughs> could have made like- it a fourth. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, that is it for our fan favorite episode. Thank you all so much for listening, for weighing in, for sharing with us and being a part of this experience with us. We cannot wait for season two. Please make sure to follow us on social media. I'm at the JV Club on Instagram, at Janet Varney on Twitter, at Janet underscore Varney on TikTok. And I'm at Dante Bosco everywhere. And on TikTok, I'm at Dante. And friends, next week, you got to join us for our exclusive presentation of Braving the Elements live from Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle. It was so much fun. <laughs>